I see that my friend Grant Dawson has been with you over these weeks. Uh, he's a great guy. And I know he's, uh, he's doing very well in uh, being here during Nick's sabbatical. And we keep praying for Nick this time, this rich time, and for the fruit of that time as he'll be preparing to come back and be with you in ministry. They're like trees replanted in Eden, putting down roots near the rivers, bearing fresh fruit every season. Almost 25 years ago, Barb and I built our little house on the west side of Calgary. It was our starter home. (laughs) It's going to be our finisher home. It's modest. It's on a narrow lot. But we're glad to have it. When the builder had finished the work and cleared out, they didn't do much landscaping on the place. They put down some paver stones for walkways. They're still there. And they put one tree on that small front lawn. A six-foot white pine, beautiful, beautiful Christmas tree-shaped, perfect. I love decorating that tree every Christmas time. Just the right size, just the right height. But a few years later, (laughs) into our time there, I noticed something. That was this. I could no longer reach the top of it standing on the ground. And I also noticed that somehow it had put on a little weight around the middle, growing out. So I needed to buy more strands of lights to put on the tree. And then I had to get the stepladder out and use that. Well, it continued to grow year after year after year. And soon, even with the stepladder, I couldn't, I couldn't stretch to reach the top of it. It was probably over 20 feet high. Then the summer came. I noticed that the crown of the tree at the top was turning brown, as were others on our block beginning to die. And I thought, well, that's it. It has to come down. Besides, it's grown so big, it's, it's taken over the whole front lawn. There's no grass left. It sucked every ounce of moisture into itself. And now it's pressing toward the window at the front of the house. It's got to come down. So I called the landscaper, came over, looked up at the top and said, oh, yeah, 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 you've got the dreaded yellow sawfly infestation. I said, of course I do, as if I knew what he was talking about. Then he looked up and down the block at all the neighbors, and everyone had the same white pine on their lawn. And he said to me, well, that's ridiculous. I said, what? He goes, they should never plant trees like that on small lots like this. They outgrow them. They're too big. They're meant for uh, golf courses and parks and mountains, not for a place like yours. And he said, you have any questions? And I said, yeah, how much? <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> but down she came. Down she came. And then Barb and I went to work looking for a replacement. 
tree shopping. Lots of questions now. We knew what we were facing, so we wanted a tree that would be there, wouldn't take over, it wouldn't grow too big, it would flower. And we settled on an ornamental crabapple tree. And one reason we did that, of course, was its size. The other was because Barb's granddad was quite a gardener, right up to near 100. And he loved his crabapple trees. And Grandma would put up jam and other things in the fall. And so we put it up there as kind of a, a remembrance, a memorial to them. We love that tree. I love that tree. And uh, it's perfect. Perfect size. It allows the light to flood the front room in every season of the year. Yeah. It never, it'll never grow too large. Its pink flowers in the spring are beautiful. It's attracted the birds to its branches. Or we can watch them. Watch them in the fall, getting drunk on the fermented apples. It's a joy. I love that tree. Do you love trees? Do you love trees? I bet you do. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a, as a tree. A tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet flowing breast. A tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray. A tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair, upon whose bosom snow has lain, ah, who intimately lives with rain. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. You might know that poem. Only God can make a tree. We love trees, living, breathing, procreating, fruit-bearing, sheltering, oxygenating, soil-enriching members of God's diverse creation. God's exquisite gifts to the earth, to the ecosphere, to each one of us. Gifts to be treasured, gifts to be stewarded, gifts to be enjoyed. You know, throughout the Bible, sisters and brothers, trees have a very prominent place if you read through Scripture. From the very first book of our Bible, book of Genesis, in the very first chapters, we see that trees are among the very first things that God creates. It's interesting. Trees. In our first home, in the garden, in the very center of the garden, God plants the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Trees. And if you skip way to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the last chapter, we see our ultimate home, our ultimate destination, the city of God. And there in the middle of that city runs a river. And on each side of the river, God's planted the tree of life. Isn't that interesting? And all through Scripture, you see references to trees all the way through. In our text today, the prophet Jeremiah refers to trees, as we just heard from Irene's reading. And he's not referring just to our literal botanical companions in life, but he's using it as a metaphor. He's comparing the tree to the people of God, to each of us, each one. 
They're like trees replanted in Eden, putting down roots near the rivers, bearing fresh fruit in every season. Does that define us? Does that describe our lives? Now, Jeremiah's ministry began under auspicious circumstances. Not long after, the city of Jerusalem would be overrun by the enemy, destroyed. And soon Israel would surrender and be taken into exile in Babylon. And the prophet was worried. He was anxious. He wondered, how would God's people survive in that strange land under those conditions? How would they face the loss of their homeland, of everything sacred and familiar? The loss of the temple, the loss of God. The prophet wondered if they would be like tumbleweed in the desert, rootless, aimless, blown about at the mercy of the captors. Would they abandon faith? Would they abandon God? Or, he wonders, would they find a place to be planted in that strange world like trees rooted near life-giving waters, finding peace, new life, and being fruitful? Now, I don't think Jeremiah was a botanist. I don't think Jeremiah knew a whole lot about the chemistry makeup of trees and how they really function. But he did know, as we may know, that though every part of a tree is important, significant for its life and well-being, from its leaves through branches, down the trunk, the bark, but he knew this, that of all the parts of a tree, the most important part, the centrally most important part of the roots, the root system of a tree. Right? For us, too, we know that. It's true of trees. It's true of our lives, where we're rooted in life, where we're planted, where we draw life from, where we're nourished, where we bear fruit. These are important things for each and every one of us. Spiritually, emotionally, what anchors, what feeds our soul, what sustains and nourishes and supports us in spiritual growth and fruitful living? Depends on where we're grounded in our lives. I want to talk about being radical people of faith. People of a radical religion, as we're called to be. I ask, are you a radical person? Have you ever defined yourself as that? I'm a radical. And what it means to say that. Are we radical Christians? I wonder. Now, it's strange how we've twisted that understanding of that word around. See, the word radical comes from the Latin radix, which means root. To be radical is to be rooted. But often we use the term radical in a more pejorative sense, I think. Today, radical, being radical can be referred to as being extreme, being unconventional, being maybe disruptive and even dangerous. We use the word to refer to those largely younger people today being trained, recruited by terrorist organizations like ISIS. We say, oh, he was radicalized, or she was radicalized. A negative thing. But I want 
to restore it to its true understanding because the word refers to something quite opposite. The word radical refers to that which is basic, that which is foundational, that which is essential. Something gets to the heart or the root of something is radical. Are we radical Christians in that sense of the word? And what does that mean? What are the basics to which, despite our differences in theological perspective or doctrinal assent or church culture, we fundamentally adhere to? Now let me, no pun intended, go out on a limb. Being radical, I think, first of all, means being rooted. Being rooted and grounded in God. We call God the ground of our being. In whom we live and move and have our being. God is the soil in which we are to seek to put down roots. God is for us in our understanding as Christians as expressed in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul, writing to the Colossian church, said this, Let your roots grow down into him and drop nourishment from him so you will grow in faith, strong and vigorous. Our roots are in the God, the being and person of God. And maybe we could go further and say, yes, and our roots are in the study of Scripture together, yes, and the practice of prayer, and most of all, grounded in love. Grounded in love. Now, Grant, I've been listening to his podcast here, and I know he's been talking quite a bit over the weeks about being people of love. I mean, it's the great unifier of all, the gift of the Holy Spirit, ultimate gift of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, we read this prayer. He says, And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down into the soil of God's marvelous love. What a prayer. A prayer for all of us. May your roots, may our roots go down into the soil of God's marvelous love. Now let's go further even in defining the radical nature of faith. To be radical in our faith is to be rooted in community. Rooted in community like this one. Connected to a particular sacred place and people. You see, the truth about a tree is this. Once that root punctures the soil, that tree is committed to that place on earth. (laughs) And that is where it must derive everything it needs to survive and flourish. It was Corey Tenboom. Christian writer who said, coined the phrase, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. I love that. Bloom where you're planted. Do you know, a foundational principle of the Benedictine tradition in Christianity, they call statio, which means stationary. Stationary. Once you're planted in a certain place, as a monk or a member of that community, you're expected to stay there. You're committed. It's very hard, I'm told, in the Benedictine orders to move around much. You're committed. You're rooted in a particular place among a 
particular people. Bloom where you're planted. And the challenge, I think, today for us socially, also in the church, in faith communities, the challenge is that fewer and fewer people of faith are planted, are being rooted somewhere, are putting spiritual roots down into the church and into the congregational life. It's true. Reg Bibby is a sociologist of religion at the University of Lethbridge. And he says this, he says, did you know there are more people who've been in the church and who are out of the church than are in the church now? There are more people who've been in the church and are out of the church than are in the church now. Rootlessness. Rootlessness is one of the things that typifies our time. I retired over three years ago, hard to believe. It's not hard for Barb to believe. After 35 plus years at one church, one place, rooted, planted, committed, there, it was difficult. The pastor, I lost three things that are essential to all of us for being rooted, for growth, for fulfillment. I lost a sense of purpose. My purpose was pretty clear when I was helping to lead a church, a large church. I lost my routine. Every week I knew what to do, certain days or certain times each month or whatever, yearly, routine. The biggest thing I lost was community. I lost my family of faith. That was the biggest and hardest of all. And Barb and I became spiritual migrants. We went on a quest to find a new spiritual home, a place where we could be radical, rooted in our faith. We must have gone to dozens of churches, different denominations. We tried it all. We looked. It was agonizing, sometimes frustrating. We wondered if we'd ever find a place to put down roots. Eventually, we were led to a very small, fairly small Moravian congregation. And we felt there we could make a contribution and maybe serve. But even then, it was hard. It was hard. We questioned. We struggled about getting involved. But finally, we said, we've got to make a decision. We've got to get rooted here. We've got to root ourselves in community. Let's try this. Let's do it here. And we did. Now, not everything about them was familiar to us. Not everything was the way I would have done it. And finding our way in at times was confusing. And I found it to be an imperfect place full of imperfect people. Like me. You probably heard that Irish poem or that Irish thing that says, Oh, to live above with the saints I love. Oh, that would be glory. But to live below with the saints I know, well, that's a different story. <laughs> Isn't it? But they're a place of genuine warmth and love. It seems to permeate the place and the people, much like this place, I find. A place where you're welcome, you're wanted. 
you're accepted. And I want to say to those this morning, we probably don't have a lot of visitors on a day like this. Most may be faithful, longer-term members, but if you're a visitor or an occasional attendee or you're returning after an extended time away, I say, invite you and say, put down your roots here. Put them down among this loving, welcoming, accepting congregation that wants you. It's important. And that leads to a closing thought, a final thing about being radical in our religion. We're rooted together. And I can't overemphasize that. If you read in the first chapters of the book of Acts, especially Acts 2, you'll see the word together appears over and over and over and over again. They met together. They held all things in common together. They prayed together, together. It's more than just assembling in one place at one time. It goes much further than that. Just being physically present. It's to live lives radically connected to each other. How important. I recently read a book. It was intriguing. It was called The Hidden Life of Trees. The Hidden Life of Trees. Did you know they have a hidden life? They do. It's quite amazing. It's vibrant. It's something we don't see. But it's there. It's real. It was written by a man named Peter Wollobin. He's a German forester, environmentalist, bioenvironmentalist ecologist. He works with David Suzuki. It's fascinating. The question that prompted this book was a search. He says, do trees communicate to each other? You know, it's probably not a thought a lot of us have had. We've wondered, do they talk? Are they social? (laughs) They appear to be independent, strong, resilient, standing on their own. But there's an invisible realm and reality to their shared life. His answer is yes, they communicate all the time. All the time. Huh. Fascinating. Continuously. He went to the forest, one of the forests he manages one day, and walking in a very familiar place, he saw something he'd never noticed before. He saw what appeared to be a ring of stones, about five feet across. A ring of stones, small stones, mossy stones. And it intrigued him. He wondered, what are those doing here like that? So he went over, and carefully he bent down, he took one of the stones up in his hand, and he took his little knife, and he noticed when he picked it up, it wasn't a stone at all. It was a piece of very old wood. It was a piece of bark. And he scraped away at the underside of this piece of bark, and it was green inside. He said, my gosh, it's alive. It's living. And he estimated by the size of that ring that that tree that had been felled was probably felled four or five hundred years ago. Yet here were these living remnants of that once great tree alive. Wow. How is that possible, he wondered. No chlorophyll, no leaves. He thought it must have had assistance. But from where? 
as he explored and examined further in that force, he found out he, he believed it had been receiving life and nutrients from other trees around it. From its roots. For the roots were intertwined underground, connected, interconnected. And that was keeping this tree, what was left of it, alive, alive. Trees, he thought, are social beings. They're interdependent. If they're only on their own, they'll never reach old age. They care for each other. The strong care for the weak. As long as they're huddled together, not too far apart, the water and nutrients are optimally shared. Isn't that something? Their well-being depends on the community. And I want to say to you, friends, so does ours. So does ours. They're like trees, the prophet says. Rooted together. Today we often hear an expression, I've heard it so many times when I met with couples around marriage often or weddings. Oh, we're spiritual, but we're not religious. We're spiritual, but we're not religious. As if the two are diametrically opposed. But I disagree entirely. I again want to look at the nature and the meaning of that word religion. The root of the word religion is leg, from which we get the English word ligament. And what is a ligament? Well, my, my wife's a physio, but it's a connective tissue that joins two things together, interconnects them together, as if they're one and how they function together. It means to connect, join together, bring everything together into one body, into wholeness. And re, religion, re again means again. So good religion, my friends, is about connecting us together again. That's what it means. It's a organic thing. Bringing us together again with God, bonding us to deeper oneness with each other. Because I believe the center of each one of us, and this is the true image of God's stuff, the center is the capacity to connect intimately. And so I say, is Red Deer Lake United Church the sacred place where that is happening for you? I believe only as we find our fit, even with a few other folk in the congregation. As we find our fit, we find our fitness to be and serve God. We deepen our awareness of our identity. We have our gifts affirmed by others. And we make a greater contribution to the body and the kingdom of God. Sisters and brothers, bloom where you're planted. Be radically religious followers of Jesus. For they're like trees planted, replanted in Eden, putting down roots near the rivers, 
bearing fresh fruit every season. May it be so. Amen. see you.